Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther on Mordecai's availability for God and what it meant for Esther when the Bible says, So it came to pass. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. If you'd like to support this program staying on in this city and this station, go to friendshipwithgod.org, that's friendshipwithgod.org, to donate online or call us before or after the program at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the book of Esther. Open in your Bibles, please, to Esther. Esther chapter 2 and uh, verse 8 as we continue in our study looking at this wonderful passage that God has given to us in His Bible to teach us so much for the day in which we live. First of all, let's pray. Lord, it's been good to be in the house of God this morning. It's been good to think of You, Lord Jesus. It's been good this last song to, Lord, let these words fall like rain on our hearts. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow. Lord, now as we look into your word in the book of Esther, teach us, teach us, Lord, about faith and duty and the faithfulness of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we, um, the little clock's missing, but it doesn't matter. I don't think, I hope you don't mind that. But anyway, there was a little clock up here because I can't, I'm blind. I can't see the clock back there, but that's just by way of an excuse. That'll be valuable for you to know in about an hour. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right, now, if you follow along here, Esther chapter 2, verse 8. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together at Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification, which such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best of the house of the women. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now, when every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after that she had been twelve months, according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to which six months, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying the women. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. In the evening she went in, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she were called by name. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto king Ahasuerus, and to this house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. 
And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast in all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthon and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king of Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in the name of Mordecai's, Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles for the king. All right. Now, in our last message, we focused on what made Mordecai a great man. And we saw that last time, because it was Father's Day, we saw that Mordecai was a great father. He loved and he cared for Esther as if she was his own daughter. And he taught Mordecai. He taught Esther. And he taught Esther, Esther, there's no greater thing than you can do in life than to be used by God. That's the greatest thing that can happen to you in life. And I'm sure if I were to ask you today, if I were to ask you today, would you like to be used by God? I'm sure you'd say yes. I'm sure you'd say, yeah, I want God to use me in my life. Well, Esther and Mordecai are great examples of how God used two people to save the Jewish nation, to save the Jewish people from extermination. So the question we want to focus on today is from them is that is how do you get used by God? How do you qualify yourself to be used by God? Or how do you get qualified to be used by God? Well, first of all, in the case of Mordecai, as you think about the history of Mordecai and you read about him here, you really get the impression that Mordecai was just determined to be used by God. And because Mordecai saw himself, we've seen in the past, as God put him there in Shushan the palace. And that meant that for Mordecai, God wanted to use me. God wanted to use Mordecai in Shushan the palace. Why? Because he understood God doesn't waste the lives of his children. And he puts them there for a purpose. And so he was always looking for opportunities to be used by God. That's what we see in Mordecai. When he sees these two are doing a conspiracy against the king, right away, I'm your man, I'm your man, God. And he goes and reports to them, and he's looking all the time. And he even sees there's some kind of opportunity going on here. God's doing something, even though he's taken Esther. And he says to Esther, Esther, now I'm telling you, he says, you're going to be used by God. Don't you tell them that you're Jewish. Don't you tell them that, see? For Mordecai, it was not just a matter of surviving or getting through life. He really looked for the opportunities to serve God. And that's how he raised Esther. That's how Mordecai raised Esther. She was raised to understand also God does not waste the lives of his children. God does not use his children as fillers on earth, but he's got an important job for everyone. There's a work for Jesus that only you can do. And it's important to finish it. Now, we can almost hear Mordecai telling her these things. Mordecai teaching Esther. Esther says, you need to find out how God wants to use you. Then you need to pursue that. 
how God wants to use you. And most important, Esther, you need to finish it. You need to finish it. Don't give up. And so that was embedded in little Esther's thinking. How do we know this? Because that's the way Mordecai acted. And Mordecai, he taught these things to her. Don't miss the opportunity. And so you consider this when Mordecai, who had his own life to worry about, and he saw little Esther, the needy orphan, no question. He says, I'll adopt her. I'll take her. She'll be my daughter. I'll take her. Jumps right in. Doesn't ask any question about, well, what's this going to mean to me and my family? Nope. That's, that's it. And not just a doctor, but he says, this is an opportunity for me to build a godly life. So he pours himself into Esther. That's what it means. It says he cared for her as his own daughter, mentioned twice in this book. And so he never looked at Esther and said, you know what? You're an intruder in my life. My life was going just fine until you came along. Never those words or those thoughts came out of Mordecai's mouth toward Esther. And they never came out of his mouth about anything that came into his life where he would be tempted to say, I wasn't planning that. And that's a big intrusion on my life. That's not Mordecai. Mordecai said, that's not an intrusion. That's God's opportunity. That came not from her parents dying, not from Vashti's relationship with the Hashuars. That came from God. And that's the way he looked at it. And he said, and I want, and Mordecai was somebody who said to himself, I want to hear the call of God in my life. I want to be ready when he wants to send me. I want to be, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. And so he was very much, Mordecai was very much like the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, if you like to turn, that's fine. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, we have a background here, a history that's given a little bit. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. That's a very, very dramatic statement. That's an earthquake statement for Israel. Why? King Uzziah was pretty important to to Israel. He he was 16 years old when he took the throne. He was a good king for the most part. Um, He was faithful and able. He was very much influenced by the prophet Zechariah during his time. He was faithful to God. He was also a man that knew how to manage. And he found out within Jerusalem and within Israel... Able men, inventors, that's not hard to find in Israel, inventors. <laughs> that's why we don't have a company in Israel, because everybody's a genius. But um, <laughs> he found them, and they were able men, and they were able men. And they designed war machines on the towers of Jerusalem. Machines that could fire lots of arrows at one time against the enemy. Machines that could hurl great stones and he, 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 he found those men. They built those machines, put them up there. He, he prospered. And during his time, many of the enemies of Israel were put in subjection because he was a good king. He reigned for 52 years. At the time of his reign, Israel prospered like Solomon, almost similar to Solomon, King Solomon's time. And that was very good, a very good time for Israel. So when this starts off in this verse 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah dies, this is not good news. I mean, King Uzziah had some problems. He got a little proud, and he decided he would offer incense. He said, who needs priests? And the priest challenged him, and God gave him leprosy. But, you know, apart from that, everybody's got some problems. But the most part, he was very, very good for Israel. It is said that when King Uzziah died, the glory of Israel died also. And it hasn't been since that time. That's what they say. Anyway, very discouraging. But it says here that in this year, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Isaiah, that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. And he says, I saw the Lord. He was sitting in the temple on a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He says he saw seraphim standing, each one six wings. and Two wings he covers the face, two wings he covers his feet, two wings he flies. He hears 
one crying to another, Holy, holy, holy. He hears this, The Lord is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts move. And, and then, and so he hears this. And Isaiah, just like Mordecai, he wants to be used by God also. And so he realizes when he hears this, Holy, holy, holy. He said, Oh, he said, there's something not holy with me. Problem is, I dwell among people who have a foul mouth, and I got the disease. I got foul mouth disease. And uh, I'm glad he doesn't go into any more detail than just to tell us he was a man of unclean lips. And so he confesses it. He confesses it. And then it says in, in Isaiah, he says, and God says, no problem. He says, we'll get a seraphim. And the seraphim comes and takes a live coal in his hand off the altar. He takes it with tongs. And he comes and he puts it on Isaiah's mouth. And he's cleansed. Right then. Just like that. He says, it touched thy lips. Thy iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. So, and Isaiah says, okay, good. Now there's nothing between me and being used by God. And then it says that he heard a voice. And the voice was God. And God was saying, well, he was asking this question. Since when does God ask questions? But here he asks a question. God only asks questions when it comes to man. That's the only time God asks questions. Otherwise, he doesn't ask questions. But God says, he says, I'm having trouble. He says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, that's exactly what I was waiting for. And so Isaiah says, here am I, here am I, Lord, see my hand, here am I, send me. See, he was ready, just like Mordecai. And then God said, okay, go, go and tell the people. Okay, so this was Isaiah, this was Mordecai, this was the wonderful uh, spirit or attitude that Mordecai had and that he embedded into little Esther because she saw that about him as she was growing up. So the first step to being used by God is to have the Mordecai and the Isaiah, I'm your man, attitude. I'm your man, God. I'm your man. See, God honors that attitude. He doesn't look and say, well, you don't have, that's nothing. For God, all things are possible. With man, things are impossible. But for God, all things are possible. So the first step in the application process, we've been hearing about Ed and Donna trying to get into the U.S., their application process. For this first step in God's application process to be used by God is to say, I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm ready. Now, to be used by God, all right? So she says, I'm your man. Now, in order for God to use Esther, she had to pass some tests, some tests. And we're going to look at some of those tests that she had to pass. First thing she had to pass is in verse 8. These five little words where it says, so it came to pass. Okay, so you can call that the so it came to pass test. She had to pass the so it came to pass test. That's a great test for her and for Mordecai too. Why? Because maybe you don't see this, but this phrase, that's actually a test. That's a trial. That's a problem because it's not written It's not written this way. And God, in order to save the Jewish people, had ordained that Esther should become queen. See, that's not written. Okay, but what is written is that so it just seems to happen like this. And what's happening? Well, because it wasn't written that way, that, you know, she's going to become queen and going to save the nation and all that. So Mordecai and Esther were tempted to say, oh, no. Oh, no, what? They thought... They could have looked at that and seen something totally different, which everybody else looked at. They said, well, you know what's going on here? I don't see God going to advance Esther to be queen and save the Jewish nation. What I see, I see the king's counselors worried when they saw the king, in verse 1, grow lovesick for his old wife Vashti, and they were worried. 
Why? That the, he was going to come and make Vashti queen again. Why were they worried? They were the ones who told him to get rid of Vashti. So if Vashti comes into power, that will not be good for them. Definitely will not be good for them. It's not going to be a good day for them if Vashti gets in power. So they said, we've got to keep Vashti from getting in power. So what we'll do, we know our king, you know, he's really kind of given to drunkenness and all these sexual immoralities. So we'll just load up the house with a whole lot of pretty girls. Well, that sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? And then we'll just put them into the harem and one night stands, one after the other. And there's just one Jewish word to describe that situation. Oi. (laughs) So that was the so it came to pass. Now you have to choose. And Mordecai and Esther have to choose. Is that the picture we're going to see? Or are we going to believe, no, no, God has a plan. He just hasn't written it to us. He just hasn't told us about what he's doing here. But it's a test, see? It's a test. And you might ask, uh, you might ask well, okay, Mordecai and Esther, they're choice servants of God. Choice servants of God. Boy, you couldn't find any better than them. Just, I mean, we admire them. So why didn't God just tell them what he was going to do? Why didn't he just reveal to them? What was going to happen? Would it have been so terrible if God would have just sat down with them and said, no, look, you know, let me just kind of lay it all out for you. And Well, turn to Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, 105. Very familiar verse, very interesting verse. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a, you know it, lamp, right? To my feet. And a light to my path. All right? Lamp, feet, light, path. Okay? Now, picture this. Picture I'm standing up here. Well, I am standing up here. You don't have to picture it. But anyway, um, here I am. In one hand, I have a Coleman lantern. Right? So this is my Coleman lantern. And in the other hand, I have one of those mag lights, you know. But I twisted it. So, you know, the front. So it's all focused. It's really just pinpoint light, mag light, like that. Right? Okay, now, and just picture that we could really have a blackout in this room. But we can't. But anyway, if you can picture that. And the lights go out. Okay, so it's pitch black in here. And I got my Coleman lantern and my mag light. And I'm standing here like this. Coleman lantern, mag light pointed straight ahead. Coleman lantern. Around my feet, what do I got? I got light. Why? Coleman lantern. Coleman lantern puts out this ring of light. Like this. Way off in the distance, I can see that back wall. I can see those doors. Why? I'm holding the mag light. Mag light gives me that way down there. Coleman lantern gives it around here. But from the perimeter of this light, from the Coleman lantern, to that back wall there, I can't see anything. Why? Well, because my mag light's all twisted down. It's giving me a, just, that's why I don't see anything. Okay? So that's an illustration of the Word of God. See, the Coleman lantern and the mag light. The Word of God is like the Coleman lantern. It gives light to my feet right around me. I can see that. The Word of God is a lamp, Coleman lamp, to my feet, and a light, mag light, to my path. I can see far off, but I can't see in between. I can't see in the specifics. Though God says, for the decisions you have to make today, what's immediately at your feet, I'll guide you through my word. I'll give you light. I'll give you what you need to know right away. That's a lamp to your feet. That's the Coleman lamp to my feet. But the mag light is going to show you the general direction or the direction you're going to. But you can see it away off. And you can see whites around here, see the general direction you go in, but you can't see what's in between. Why? You can't see the whole path. You don't have that. Why? Well, in the case of Mordecai, if he did, he might have fainted. 
especially about the part about the 150-foot scaffold that was constructed to hang him on. That might have been a little hard for him to sleep many nights over. He might have had a cardiac arrest. So instead, God says, I got a great idea. Why don't we let me be God and you be man? Can we do that? Uh, I mean, I can handle the course. I can handle the plan part. All I need for you is just fight your way through the so it came to pass. Can you do that? Just fight your way through that and believe that I'm in control. Dad, whenever I think of Esther in Persia, I'm amazed at how God saved the Jewish people in the land of Persia. How does the fact that God saved the Jewish people in Persia apply to us today? Well, David, it's very interesting because where God did some of his greatest works was outside of the nation, the Jewish nation, the Jewish homeland of Israel. God did great and marvelous works in the land of Egypt. Right in the middle of this heathen land of Egypt, God displayed these 10 awesome plagues on this country so that he could deliver and bring his people out. That was something that God did for them outside. You know, there was a time when the enemies of Israel came and they fought against him and they talked about, well, you know, we lost the battle because, you know, God is the, their God must be the God of the mountain. So now if we go into the plains or something like that, then he's not going to, they're not going to be successful because he can't work in the plains. And then God defeated them there in the plains. It's a mistake for people to think that the Lord God of Israel is only restricted to this, this box But you know, what it says in Deuteronomy 10, 14, is it says, Behold, the heaven and heavens and heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. David says, For God is the king of all the earth, all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. In other words, there's a term that that really irritates me, and I, I never like to say it. You know what the term is? It's the term Christianity. Well, why don't I like the term Christianity? Because Christianity makes it sound like, well, you have your religion, maybe you're a Buddhist, and so you have Buddhism, self-realization, and everybody's got their religion, and you stack them all up on a shelf, and you see the religions one right after the other, and oh, yes, there's that one called Christianity stacked up against all the religions of the world. And why is this religion different from any other religion? Or why is this religion better than any other religion? Well, it's not because it's just another religion. See, that's the connotation of the term Christianity. You know, there is no such thing as Christianity. There is no such thing as all these other religions. In God's sight, there is only one category of all of them called error, and there is one truth. There is one truth. That's what it means when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the great Shema is really a proclamation that there is only one God, and you should love him with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul, and not acknowledge. You know, it says in another place, don't let their names of their gods even be on your mouth. Don't even acknowledge them, because there's only one Lord God. His name happens to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is God. That's why we call him not a Lord Jesus Christ, but 
the Lord Jesus Christ, excluding all others. And so therefore, he is the Lord God. And all flesh, every knee is going to bow before him and not confess that Christianity is true, but every knee is going to bow before him and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. That that was the proclamation of the early church. It was that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is Ha Adonai, the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ, none else. You shall have no other gods before you because he alone is the unique God who owns heaven, the heavens of heavens, the earth also, and all that therein is. That's our God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship him because he is the Lord God Almighty, singular, and no one else is worthy of this honor of being the Lord God, the Lord alone, who is God. Thank you for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. It's your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries that allows us to reach over 1.5 million Jewish people a year with the gospel every year, not just through this radio program and how you help us to reach out to Jewish people, but also through our Jewish evangelism outreaches with IRM missionaries that go door-to-door with the gospel in 18 different U.S. cities and also from South America to Israel to Canada, getting the gospel out to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you'd like to support the gospel going to a Jewish person that you know, With a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor with his life story and DVD booklet, go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to fill out the free online form or call us at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Go to friendshipwithgod.org. 1-800-247-3051.